Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is great to see each of you tonight. Thank you for being here. We're going to get right into the study of God's Word this evening. And I'm going to begin by simply saying this, that it is critical that we have a right view of God and a right view of ourselves. We're going to be talking this week, this weekend, about the glory of God. And fundamentally, tonight, I've got two goals One, to think about God and who He is, and then to think something about ourselves and who we are. You know, there are some truths, some truths that are so critical that if we get them right in our minds, it really changes everything. Some things that we can learn about God can radically change our thought processes for the rest of our lives. Now, I've already mentioned that we're going to be talking about the glory of God. And here you see the scriptures, or rather, we've got a scripture at the top, but you see the lessons that we're going to do in the course of this weekend. Tonight, by this my Father is glorified. We're going to get to that text in John chapter 15 in just a little while. Tomorrow night, edification, God's powerful transformer. God wants to change your life and make you like his son, the Lord Jesus. We'll talk about how that works tomorrow night and how you can have the kind of character, the kind of faith that Jesus wants you to have. And then Sunday morning, we'll be talking about our gathering, why we gather together and what that gathering is about. And then Sunday morning again in the Bible class or in the worship hour, we'll be talking about great churches do great things and talking about what this church can do looking at the future. And then finally, on Sunday evening, we'll be talking about a builder, a man who began to build. You may already know part of the story from Luke chapter 14. We'll be looking at that. But as a starting point for us tonight, we're going to look at the book of Psalms. I want to look at Psalm number 72 and verse 19. That's the scripture that I've referenced at the top of the slide. Psalm 72 and verse number 18 and 19 together, where the where the psalmist wrote this, he said, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be His glorious name forever. God's name is glorious. We'll talk about that in the course of our study this evening. Blessed be His glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. It is God's goal that the entire earth be filled with His glory. And that should be our goal also. But it should be your personal goal that God's glory fill your life. And so we're going to talk about that in the course of the evening. And I want to begin by asking you this simple question. What is the purpose of our existence? Why do you exist? Why did God make someone like you? Someone says, well, I think our purpose is expressed in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and in verse number 13 where Solomon said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The whole matter is that we fear God and keep His commandments. Well, that passage is really talking about our duty and it's not necessarily talking about your purpose in life. God wants you to keep His commandments. That's that's the case But what's His purpose? What is His purpose for you keeping His commandments? I'm going to suggest in the very beginning of our study tonight that our ultimate purpose and the reason for our existence, the reason why God made us, is that we give Him glory. 
That's the direction of this lesson tonight, and that is the direction to which our lives ought to go. Let me ask you another question for, for the dads. How many dads do we have here? If you're a dad, hold up your hand. We've got several dads. Great. Some of you dads have small children. Some of you dads have grown children, and now you've got grandchildren. But, but if, if you were to ask your son or your daughter, what is the most important thing in your relationship with your daddy? If I ask my daughter Jennifer, Jennifer, what is the most important thing to me in our relationship? How would she answer? How would your son or how would your daughter answer that question? What is the most important thing to me as a father in our relationship? A daughter or a son might say, well, I'm not sure. Or they might say, I really don't care. But what if they said, I know what's most important to you, Dad, and I care and I want to make that happen in our relationship. It, would, would that be important to you that your son or your daughter know what's most important in, in the relationship you have with them? You can understand how that's so. Well, if that's so in our earthly relationship, how much more is that true with our God? God has a purpose. God has something in His mind that is extremely important in your relationship with Him. And you need to know what that is. And I'm suggesting in the very beginning of our lesson tonight that what is uppermost in God's mind is that you give Him glory. And that ought to matter to us, that we give Him glory. It's important to God, so it has to be important to us. The purpose then of your existence, the reason why God made you, is to give Him glory. Did you realize that God is the one being, the one being in the universe for whom seeking His own glory is not a vice, but it is a virtue because He is God. Now it's my task in the course of our study this evening to establish from Scripture that the glory of God is the most important thing. So that's what we're going to look at in the course of our study. But in order to do that, we need to know something about what glory is. And in preparation for this lesson, I looked up a bunch of definitions of glory, what the various lexicons and dictionaries said about glory. And here are some of the words that are found in the lexicons and in the dictionary. To, to have glory is to have honor. In respect of God, it's about God's splendor, His magnificence. It's about His dignity. It's about admiration of God. Seeing Him as God and seeing yourself as the creation of God and admiring your Creator. It's about His great majestic name. And it's about His power. The awesome, all-powerful God. All of those things are tied up in this concept of His glory. Oh, but there's more. I've got another list. It's about God's goodness. God is good. He's good to His people. It is a part of His, His inherent character to be good. But it's also about His worthiness. God is worthy of praise. We've just sung a wonderful song, Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. God deserves that praise because He is God and because He is good. It's about His grandeur. When you read in the book of Revelation chapter 4 and see God on His throne and the wonders of His throne, that's a part of the glory of God. It's about God being exalted. 
It's about seeing God as above all others. I remember seeing a bumper sticker a number of years ago that said, there is a God and it's not you. You ponder that for a moment. A lot of people see themselves as autonomous. They don't see anyone greater than themselves, but God is great. And God is above all. It's about the exaltation of God. It's about God's brilliance, the rainbow that surrounds His throne. It's about His beauty. All of these kinds of terms are used to speak of the glory of God. And it's important that we see that. And so the word glory is used of honoring God for all that he is. Now, what I intend to do is to talk about two texts in the beginning of our study. We're going to look at a text from the book of the Psalms, Psalm number 79 and verses 8 and 9. I'm going to look at an Old Testament verse, this, and then I want us to see a New Testament verse, and they both say something about the glory of God. Now, in Psalm number 79 and verse 8, Israel is appealing to God for deliverance. Israel has gone into captivity. The Babylonians have come and have destroyed their their temple and have ruined the city of Jerusalem and carried the people away as slaves. And they appeal to God. God help us. God bring us home. But listen to the basis of their appeal. What they don't say, they don't say, God, you know, we had everything taken away from us. Give it back to us. We lost our land. Give it back to us for our sake. We were made slaves. Free us from slavery for our sake. Well, they appeal to God on a very different basis. The text says, Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. They're appealing for forgiveness. Let your tender mercies come speedily to us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for us for your name's sake. And I want to highlight two of those phrases that are found in that text. Help us, O God, of our salvation. Why? Why? For the glory of your name. And then they say, deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. It's about God being glorified. It's not just about the people. You see, the appeal is not made for the sake of Israel. The appeal is made for the sake of the glory of the name of God. The credibility of God. And his promises that he had made to Abraham. The promises he had made to the prophets. God had made three promises to Abraham. Promised him a great land. Promised to make a a great nation out of him. And then this third promise was the seed promise from which the Messiah would come through this great nation that God would establish. So you've got a land promise, the, the land of Canaan. You've got a great nation promise, the nation of Israel. But then God says... Through your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so the nation of Israel has to be preserved. And God is going to preserve that nation of Israel, even though he sent them into captivity for some 70 years in Babylon. But he promised through the prophet Jeremiah, at the end of 70 years, you will return. And so God has got to preserve this nation in order that his promise to Abraham of a blessing for the whole world, the Messiah, he's got to preserve this nation for his own sake and for the glory that he has and for the sake of his promises. And he's got to preserve this nation of Israel and bring them back to the land 
because he said he would do it. And so God's credibility is on the line. And so the people appeal to God. They know they've sinned. They're in Babylon because of their wretchedness, because of their wickedness and violence, and because of their idolatry. But they appeal to God, do not remember former iniquities against us. Take us back home for the glory of your name. For your name's sake, deliver us. And so it's not really about Israel, is it? It's about God's name, about God's glory. But now, go to the New Testament. Look at this passage in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21. Here at the end of this great chapter, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Of course, this is talking about our God. He is the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him, to God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We're part of the church. We rely on God, don't we? We've called upon Him already this evening in prayer. We have praised His name for His greatness and majesty. His power is working in us. He has made us part of His family. But it doesn't say glory to us, His children. It says to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus for all generations. This is about giving God glory. You know, in the, earlier in that chapter, and I don't have a slide on this verse, but look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11. In Ephesians 3 verses 10 and 11, it talks about the plan of God through Christ Jesus. And it says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. God's wisdom can be seen in the church. To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to talk about purpose? What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of the gospel? What is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is expressed right here. That the church is designed to give God glory. Someone says, but we're part of the church. We're part of God's chosen people. And God has blessed us. Of course he has blessed us. But he has blessed us for the express purpose, purpose, the purpose of giving him glory. You see, the first text that we saw from Psalm 79 was about Israel. The second text addresses the church. And it's my understanding that all that is done regarding Israel in the Old Testament is done for the glory of God. And it's my understanding that all that is done for the church in the New Testament is for the glory of God. When you look at the history of God's dealings with man, starting with Abraham, or even before Abraham for that matter, you go chapter after chapter, book after book, you see all the work of the prophets, you see the great nation of Israel. What you see is a major theme of the Bible, and this major theme of the Bible is that of giving God glory. Can anybody say amen to that? Oh my goodness, there were two people who said amen. Listen, a sizable chunk of our congregation at home is African American in heritage. And so I'm not afraid when people say amen. But can I say it again? A major theme of the Bible is giving God glory. Can you say amen to that? Amen. God bless you for that. 
The coming of Jesus into the world. It's about giving God glory. The establishment of the church. These things all emphasize the glorification of God. I'm going to touch very quickly on the number of passages in the Old and New Testament. I'm going to go very, very quickly through these texts. I'm just going to read them and make a a very short comment on each text. And if you don't get all these verses, you can pick up a copy of the lesson after we conclude tonight. We will have lessons Lesson outlines for all of the studies that we will do. And Sunday night, Sunday night, I want you to have the lesson outline in advance because it's got some questions that I want you to answer as we go through. But for now, let's look at our list. I want you to see these things as we talk about the glory of God. To God be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now, let's go to our list. The first passage I want to look at is spoken regarding Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16. So I'm slipping back there in my Bible to the book of Exodus chapter 9 and in verse 16. And if you want to follow me back there, fine. But here God is talking about something about his purpose for Pharaoh. And he's talking about declaring his name. That is not Pharaoh's name, but declaring the name of God. He says in, in verse number 16... He says, indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up. Speaking to Pharaoh, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you. And of course, you know what happens in the plagues that follow and ultimately the deliverance of Israel by the hand of Moses. But God is behind it all. God is demonstrating his power. He says that I might show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Now, the word glory is not found in that text. But when you see that it says that my name may be declared in all the earth, that's about God's glory. So that's one passage. That's where we begin. So God's purpose concerning the deliverance of Israel out of bondage was expressed to Pharaoh that it's about God's name being declared in all the earth. And then our next text is about Israel. Why did God create the nation of Israel? Have you ever thought about that? Someone says, well, uh, I guess the nation of Israel was created so God could keep his three promises to Abraham. Well, that indeed is true. But look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43 and verses 5, 6, and 7. Isaiah 43, God speaks here about his purpose now for creating this nation. Now he says this in Isaiah 43 and verse 5. He says, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east. Now, he's talking here about the people being restored after the captivity, after the Babylonian captivity. I will bring your descendants from the east, and I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. That is, no matter where God's people have gone, God says, give these people up and let them come home to their land. This is following the Babylonian captivity. I will say to the north, give them up to the south. Do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. The nation of Israel was created. For the glory of God, I formed him. Yes, I have made him, says God. Can you see? The, God's purpose for Israel was to give God glory. Next, I want you to go over to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. In Ezekiel, chapter 36, and I want to start at verse number 21. In Ezekiel 36, 
And this again is about the time of the Babylonian captivity. And in verse number 21, I want to read three verses, 21, 2, and 3. But God is talking here about how the people were carried away from Jerusalem, from Judea, and they were carried away into Babylon. And then when they were carried away, they continued to bring shame on God's holy name even while in captivity, at least for a while. And so God says in verse 21, He says, But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel. Now God's going to bring them back. He's speaking of restoration, bringing the people back home. But do you see what he says? I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Do you see it there? God says, I'm bringing you back home. Oh, yes, the people would be benefited. They'd be restored to their land. But God says, I'm doing this for the sake of my name. This is about my glory, not about yours. I'm going now to the New Testament, to the book of Luke. I want you to look at Luke chapter 2, one of the great texts of the New Testament, a favorite passage of mine in Luke chapter 2. I've got verse 9 and verse 14. Will you allow me please to read verses 9 through 14? This is where Jesus, his birth is being announced to the shepherds. And in verse number 8, it says, There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord, look at that, there's the glory of the Lord again. It shone around about these shepherds, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The message calls upon men to give glory to God because of the peace that he brings and the goodwill that he offers to all of mankind. The birth of Jesus, it's about the glory of the Lord. You can see that. Go over to the Gospel of John in John chapter 1 in verse number 14. John chapter 1 and verse 14, again, is going to speak of the glory of God. And listen, all I have done, ladies and gentlemen, is just chosen a number of passages. I've chosen 10 passages to give you here. 10 references out of how many? Out of dozens upon dozens, hundreds of passages that are about the glory of God. What I want you to see in this part of our lesson is the Bible is a book about God's glory. 
That's the theme that begins early and runs through all of the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it speaks of Jesus. Jesus, before He came into the world, was called the Word. Remember John chapter 1 and verse 1? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, not anything was made that was made. Jesus is the Creator of all. He's called the Word before He came into the world. But coming into the world, look at this text now. And the Word became flesh. Here is Jesus now becoming a man. This person called the Word becomes Jesus the man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. That is the glory of Jesus. John says we saw it. Oh, they saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw it at His baptism. They saw it over and over again as He did these wondrous works of God. John says, we beheld His glory. But that's not all. He says, we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to demonstrate the glory of God. Oh, there's another passage in John. John chapter 7 and verse number 18. Jesus talks about His coming into the world in chapter 7 and verse 18. Of course, Jesus was always in a controversy with someone. They were denying Him, arguing against Him, whatever they might do. But in verse 18, Jesus said, He who speaks from Himself seeks His own glory. That's not Jesus. He said, But he who speaks... But he who seeks the glory of the Father who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Jesus says he came to seek the glory of his Father in heaven. Ah, but there's more. The Gospel of John is filled with statements about the glory of God. Look at John chapter 17. This is just hours before Jesus went to the cross. He has completed his time in the upper room with the disciples, and he's on his way now to the Mount of Olives, where he will spend the night in prayer, and where he will be arrested. But, but look at what he says here. Look at what he says as he prays to the Father. And this really encompasses so much of the ministry of Jesus. Not only His teaching, His miracles, but now His impending death, burial, resurrection, and His ascension back to the Father. And so He prays to the Father with these words. As He lifts His eyes to heaven, He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son. Jesus appeals to God to give glory to the Son. Why? That your Son also may glorify you. As you have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And all that Jesus did, remember we just saw in John seven eighteen, in all that He did, He was seeking the Father's glory. So now He says, I have glorified you on the earth. And He says, and now, verse number 5, and now, O Father, glorify me together with Yourself 
with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You see, Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to earth, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But now he's asking God to glorify him. And I think this is a reference to his resurrection because Jesus knows that he's about to die. But he's going to be resurrected in great and awesome glory. And he's going to be restored in his ascension back to heaven. He'll be restored to the glory which he had before he ever left heaven. Can you see the whole mission of Jesus is about glory? It's about the glorification of our God. And, and then I want you to look at a passage in one of the epistles. It's in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 10. This passage is not about the ascension of Jesus to heaven. It's not about his resurrection, but it's about his second coming. And I want you to notice carefully what it says, what will happen at that time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, the apostle writes that when he comes in that day, he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. He's talking about the people who believe the testimony of the gospel. And when the Lord comes, he comes in great glory, but he will be glorified in his saints as his saints are called up together to meet him in the air and to ever be with the Lord. They will be, it says he will be glorified in them. They will give him glory. That's talking about us in that day. But notice what else it says. That he would be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. Brother Warren and I were talking this afternoon about that word admired. Some translations say to be marveled at. We're going to see Jesus and we're going to marvel. It's going to be amazing at what we see as we give him glory in his second coming. Jesus at his birth. Glory to God. Jesus in his life sought the glory of the Father. Jesus in his resurrection was glorified. And he's glorified again at his return to take his people home to be with him forever in heaven. But we fit in this, don't we? We fit in this right here in this passage because he will be glorified in people like you and me. Uh, but there's more. I've got two more passages. And one is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It's the passage we saw a few moments ago where it, it spoke of, of God to him who is able to, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. The church is designed by God to give him glory. And all that we do, we ought to strive to do our very best for God's sake because we want to give God great glory. You see, the church, someone says, well, I thought the church was about us. I thought it was about our benefit, about uh, us being a part of the body of the saved, about us going to heaven. All that's true. But all that's to give God the glory. Can you see that, my friends? A final passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. 
And you probably know this passage. It's one of the most familiar texts in the New Testament as we consider the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, Whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All of our actions ultimately ought to be for God's glory. All that we do. Not just what we do in the assembly, our singing, our praying, the Lord's Supper, the giving. All of that's for God's glory. But our lives ought to be a reflection of God's glory in everything that we do. Because that is the thing that is uppermost in our Father's mind. Remember, I asked you the question in the beginning. If you're a dad and you've got a son or a daughter, what is most important in that relationship? For your child to you as as their father, what is most important? And whatever you may name as most important, you understand how critical that is. You want your child to know what's important in that relationship. How much more does God want us to know what's important in our relationship with Him? And it is to give Him glory. Now I've got one more text that I'm going to address on this slide. We've seen ten critical texts out of literally hundreds that speak of God's interaction with mankind that express His purposes. We've seen that everything is to be done for His glory. But we will add one more passage, and that is John chapter 15 and verse 8, where Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I want you to notice these four phrases. I've broken this down into four parts. I highlight, highlight those first two words where Jesus said, By this, he's talking about bearing fruit. Here in this verse, you have opportunity to do your part in glorifying God in a special way. You know, we look back at these Old Testament worthies. Are we doing okay on time? I think we're all right. We look back at these Old Testament worthies. We see, oh, how God used Abraham for his purposes. He used Moses. He used David. He used the great prophet Isaiah. He used Ezekiel and so many others. Those men all served the purpose of God in their time. And those men all, in one way or another, gave glory to God. But now, this is for you. This is your time, your opportunity. Here in this generation, in this place... For you to give glory to God. This is now about you and your part in the great scheme of redemption. And that of bringing others. Bringing others to give glory to God. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, you know the passage. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And do what? You know what it says. And glorify your Father in heaven. And one of the ways that you glorify your Father in heaven is by doing what Jesus said in this text. Jesus says, by this, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. But he says, by this, my Father is glorified. You see, as we saw in John 17 and verse, John 7 and verse 18, this was always the aim of Jesus. He always sought the glory of God. And now, Jesus wants this to be your aim, your purpose in life, to give glory to God, to honor God, to exalt Him, and to show how important God is in your life that you put Him on the pedestal. You enthrone Him in your heart in order to give Him glory by bearing fruit. In this, 
my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And, and how do we bear fruit? Well, someone might point to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You know that text and you know it well. And I would not deny that that's a way of bearing fruit. And indeed is so. We should demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. All those qualities that the apostle wrote of, they're critical. But I think we need also to remember that winning souls for Jesus Christ is also fruit-bearing. I'm reminded of the words of the, of the proverb, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. He who wins souls is wise. We are soul winners for Jesus. We sing a song, I want to be a soul winner for Jesus every day. You see, the Apostle Paul, he was concerned about the furtherance of the gospel. And he saw that as fruit bearing. And so, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And, and while I recognize that this text is originally spoken to the apostles in the upper room, in John chapter 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. But there's a sense, in a, a secondary sense in which all of these thoughts right here in this section would apply to us also. We want to be fruit bearers for God. Why? Why do we want to win souls? Because we want to glorify God. Yes, we save a soul from death. We rescue someone from the, from the wrath of God, from the pits of hell. We rescue someone. But it's also for the glorification of our God. And Jesus said, So you will be my disciples. So you will be my disciples. Fruit bearing is a mark of discipleship. As you read through this upper room discourse where Jesus spoke to his disciples, he said a number of things that were critical about them following him. He, he, he talked about how you love one another. He said, and, and men will recognize you as my disciples when you love one another. That's a mark of discipleship for us to love one another. But it's also a mark of discipleship for us to bear fruit for God. Maybe we can't all bear the same amount of fruit. Jesus in the parable of the sower talked about how some, some bear fruit a hundredfold, some 30, some 20. Maybe we bear different amounts of fruit, but we all want to be fruit bearers for God. Why? Because it demonstrates that we're disciples of the Lord Jesus. That's our mission in life. We are on a mission from God. Our objective in life, our purpose in life, the reason God created us is so that we could bear fruit for His glory. Look over in the book of Jude, the very last verses of the book of Jude, just before the book of Revelation begins. In Jude, verse 24 and 25, just these two little verses, but I want you to see what these two verses say about God. As, the, as, as Jude closes this section... He speaks of God, and he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion 
and power both now and forever. Amen. That's the purpose of our lives right there. To give God that kind of glory. To recognize His dominion, His rule, His lordship, His kingship in our lives. Winning souls is a way that we glorify God. There are other ways, but we want to glorify God in every way. And so we are on a mission from God. And that mission from God is not something we do from time to time. But rather it is something that is infused within us to the point where every day we're conscious of it. All the people that we're around in the course of the day are people who need God in their lives. And we are here for that purpose. It's part of our DNA. It's part of the culture of the local church that we are seeking souls for God. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole plan of God is not really about us at the center. Oh, I know there are many blessings for us. But the whole plan of God is really about God and His glory. And we fit in that plan. We're an important part of that plan in that we are allowed the privilege of giving Him glory. God is at the center. Not me and not you. But we are honored by being able to give our God glory. Now let me tell you what is the most amazing thing of all about the glory of God. And we're closing the lesson right here with the passage from Romans chapter 8. And so if you slip over there to Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8. And I want to read two verses. Verses 17 and 18. And this is talking about the fact that we are children of God. And in this text, you're going to see the glory of the ages manifested in a people first in a person but then in a people and this is the most amazing thing about the glory of God you see we talk we talk through the entire lesson of giving glory to the father but ultimately Jesus is going to be the heir of eternity and Jesus will possess great glory in eternity but that's only part of it listen carefully it says in verse 17 if we're children, that is children of God, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We're glorified together with Christ. This text says we're joint heirs with Christ. Is that too good to be true? It is the truth, my friend. It is the plan of God that somehow in eternity, whatever belongs to Jesus, we get to share in that. And the text said at the end of verse 17, that we may also be glorified together. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We sing a song, Amazing Grace. There needs to be a song, Amazing Glory. Because when Christ is glorified in eternity, in some sense, in some way, we will be glorified in Him. We are part of it. What an amazing God we serve. And what an amazing blessing He offers to us. 
and what a critical work he gives to us of bearing fruit for his glory. You can't give glory to God. You can't give him glory unless you're one of his children. If you're resisting obeying the gospel, you are withholding glory from God. And it's time to end that right now because God has a plan for you and that's for you to give him glory. And if you believe in his magnificent son, Jesus Christ, you need to confess the son's name, turning from sin and recognizing he has the right to rule your life. And when he rules your life, you're giving him glory. When you're baptized into him, you have new life in him. And now you're in the place where you can give him glory. If that's what you need to begin tonight, it is the Lord who invites you to come right now as we stand and sing. Come now, please.